All right, everybody, welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast. It is episode 171. I am Mel from Metal Hammer, which you might already know by now, but if you don't, hello, welcome to the podcast. We'd love to have you. Uh, the latest issue of Metal Hammer is out right now. Tinyurl.com slash gethammer is the address to get it delivered straight to your door, or you can pop to your nearest store, stock a Metal Hammer, go to tinyurl.com slash findhammer to find where your nearest store is is we are celebrating 20 years of Iowa by Slipknot, one of the greatest and most significant heavy metal albums of all time, an album that was fraught with tension, turbulence, and a ton of crazy stuff going on behind the scenes. We talked to the bands and various people that were on the scene at the time about Iowa and its legacy and all the chaos that was going on at the time. It's a hell of a feature. You need it in your life. Uh, Go out and get that right now. Do it, do it, do it. Um, and uh, this week's special guest is very, very linked to that cover feature as well. But I'll get onto that in a minute because uh, I should also tell you that we have some lovely sponsors these days. The wonderful people at Killstar, one of the world's greatest leading alternative fashion brands. They sponsor this podcast. We appreciate them very much. They have a fantastic range of clothing, shoes, accessories and lifestyle items for all kind of people from all walks of life. Go to killstar.com to check out all their excellent ranges. Uh, I'm on the website right now, actually. They have shoes here. They've got t-shirts. They've got hoodies, dresses. They've got some spider earrings. They're pretty crazy. They've got mugs, leggings. Uh, they just dropped a whole new homeware range as well, so you can kit yourself out uh, and your house out to look metal as hell. They're the coolest alternative fashion and lifestyle brand there is right now, so jump over to killstar.com and get in on all of that. Uh, I've got my eyes on some particularly spooky salt and pepper shakers that I can see. They look pretty cool. They'll go down a tree at my house. Um, we recommend them very, very much. So go over to killstar.com to check out all of that right now. Right, uh, this week's show features a world-exclusive interview with the godfather of new Metal himself. I'm talking about Ross Robinson, one of the most influential and important producers in the history of our music. He is one of the elites when it comes to heavy metal production. Uh, he is the man behind legendary albums by the likes of Korn, Sepultura, Slipknot, Limp Bizkit, Soulfly. Uh, I mean, so much of the metal that defined the 90s and early 2000s was influenced by the work of this man and Metal Hammer Deputy Editor Eleanor Goodman conducted a long interview with the man himself a few weeks back. Uh, the interview was for two pieces. One will be rolling out in the magazine in a few months time and the other was for this month's aforementioned explosive Iowa issue. Uh, I talked about it just now. Ross was the man behind the production desk for Slipknot's classic Iowa album and we talked to him for the cover feature uh, along with various members of the bands and other key personnel as I mentioned. Um, but Ross's material on Iowa was so good that we just decided to run a ton of it right here on the podcast as well as an exclusive for you lot. Uh, so Ellen Ross talk about the emotional turmoil at the heart of making Iowa. They chat about the relationships in the band at that point. Ross talks about his favourite moments on the record and much, much more. It's all on here and it's all great stuff. Uh, I should add that this interview didn't take place via our usual podcast software. It was done as a phone interview, so the audio is a little different to usual, but you're still going to get a ton of great stories and insight from Ross, and it is well worth your time. I promise you that. If you were there, if you were there, if you know about this time in metal, you're going to want to hear what Ross has got to say about Iowa. It's really eye-opening stuff. Um, and then, of course, don't forget to pick up the latest issue of Metal Hammer as well to read even more about Iowa as we celebrate its 20th anniversary. Uh, also, just want to note that Ross talks about Left Behind being his favourite Corey vocal performance in this interview, but he messaged us after the chat to clarify that he actually meant Disaster Piece. So he's kind of that's what he's talking about when he mentions that um, 
uh, left behind is his favourite Corey vocal performance. Um, but anyway, I've talked enough now, hasn't it? You want to hear Ross Robinson, so let's get on to it. With that all said, I'm going to hand you over to L and Ross right now. Enjoy. Um, I just worried if there's any trepidation about going back into the studio with Slipknot after a self-titled record. Just, I guess, one having to sort of live up to. Oh, how how to bring the how to bring the nine dudes together? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so what happened is is uh, during drum tracking, yeah, I was completely obsessed with motocross. I I started really really. It was it's my passion, my life, and all this stuff. Like since right before the at the drive-in record, and uh, and I hurt myself for the first time during at the drive-in, and the record came out really good. And um, so during Slipknot, I thought it would be a really good idea to hit the track on. I think our first day off, um, and uh, I broke my back. Yeah. And and we were in the studio for almost like pretty much all of the drums. We were about ninety percent there, and there was a lot of editing going on, and and you know some overdubs, you know, to fix some parts here and there, and and uh, and uh, people were partying. It was you know people weren't talking, and you know, and I was much you know like getting frustrated with it's not the same <laughs> you know like as far as we need to bring this together we need to have this great meeting and come together and with management so everybody's you know like I was in their business and you know which I learned not to do um, <laughs> especially during that record and I <laughs> so I showed up uh, I, I missed a day after breaking my back and then showed up in extreme pain on time in time and said, let's get it the fuck on. And they turned into Slipknot one again, you know, as far as showing up, because if I was doing it, they had no excuse. (laughs) And, um, and, uh, you know, with all that extreme pain, you know, there, there is some craziness. And also I, I'm, it was stream of consciousness and I was on painkillers towards the end of the night and the pain and, and then, you know, the relief, I would wait for vocals and, and before I would take my medication to get some relief and, and before that, it was it was about just gritting my teeth, and um, so a lot of my memory of it is erased because I was escaping dealing with mental pain and showing up, and and then obviously having to take stuff to be able to just breathe, and um, yeah, it, it didn't create a, a a safe environment for them like the first one did. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned which probably which is probably why I, I they didn't call me in to do any other music. I would imagine. 
Hmm. Do you not think they would have enjoyed being like you were sort of part of the chaos though, surely in Iowa? Oh yeah. Uh, well, a, a record producer's job is to set the tone and and be the the light, you know, to hold that space and you know and you know in that you know for the first time in my life with experiencing such extreme physical pain you know I uh, like if I wasn't getting a performance you know I would push and push and push you know to get cravings satisfied and and when say uh you know the marker was if I if the pain went away then um my it meant that I saw a great performance and the opiates just rushed through my body from the performance, you know, and so subconsciously I was going for that that hit, you know, using them as my as my medicine and and you know, the the key word was use and um you know, if I didn't get that thing it was you know whatever it took and um i mean that's kind of my recollection of the extreme performance and, and the wildness of of what you feel on that record it's very yeah. heavy <laughs> yeah what actually yeah. happened to you in the motocross accident oh <laughs> so i cruised out to this track in the desert that has really big jumps and and I thought and and the bike that I had was this new uh they switched the motors from two stroke to four stroke if I don't most people won't know what that is but <laughs> there was this thing called engine braking that with the two stroke the back wheel just spins freely and with the four-stroke, this new version, the back wheel would slow down when it was in the air. And so, if the if the back wheel slows down, it throws it throws the back wheel over the back of your head, and you and you you endo and you crash like it's just ruthless. <laughs> and so, my skill level wasn't able to handle that bike at the time, and. And I basically, you know, I did this, I think it was a 75 or 80 foot jump and, and the back wheel just came over the back of my head and, and I went head first into the ground and it felt like my body bent in half, hyperextending the wrong way. And, um, and I was laying there in the dirt and, uh, <laughs> And my sister was there at the time, and she she does massage and stuff. And I'm like, all you need to do is massage it. Just just massage <laughs> it, and it'll be okay. <laughs> and they're scraping me up with a freaking wood plank and taking me to the hospital. And it was it was ruthless, ruthless, ruthless pain. And um, yeah. And then those poor guys had to. You know, they stuck by me, which I'm so grateful for. It must mm. have been really tough, really tough. And we made it, made it through. Yeah. 
Well, how long... I think the band have said you were in the studio like the day after the accident. Is that correct? Were you kind of in there straight away? Yes. Wow. Yeah, I okay. didn't. Yeah. I, music, everything I do is to rip, you know, for the music. And so the, the motocross, in a way, is preparation. Like, I, I like to tell everybody, you know, as we're walking across the street to get a coffee, I'll go, what are we doing? And they return, the return answer, proper answer is, we're making a fucking record. <laughs> so, so the injury is making the record. And it's all purposeful and there's no mistakes in it. It's, it's, and, and I remember Joey saying, this is the best thing, and Paul, this is the best thing that's ever happened to us. I'm like, fuck yeah. And then, you know, I had my helmet that was all scraped up and I think it was even broken. It's sitting on top of one of the, the heads and the Marshall head or something. And, and, you know, by the end of the record, they were so like stoked on it, you know, as far as the, the violence and the extremeness of all of it, that I think five of them ended up with dirt bikes Wow. after that. Yeah, that that's how insane we were. Yeah. <laughs> that's not normal. <laughs> um, well, I read that you're in a wheelchair as well, and I imagine if your back was literally broken, that is the case. I'm, I'm surprised you weren't lying down, to be honest, but I'm guessing you were in a wheelchair in the studio just on the painkillers trying to make this work. Yeah, um, it wasn't a wheelchair. It was, I just wrapped my back. And if I leaned forward at all or backwards at all, it was so ruthless. And so for just a little bit, I did a Rick Rubin and laid on the couch that he lays on. And um, <laughs> had this thing, lay and listen. And um, which is, I learned really good technique if you're listening you're hearing so um if you're doing your you know it's anyway <laughs> so uh, during drum editing you know i was i was there you know and then we do the fixed parts and stuff like that um i was there for all the the tracking of you know standing upright <laughs> and out of pain for the tracking of the drums. And um, so, you know, it took it took us a, a little over a month, I think, to get the drums edited and all done. And um, so, you know, they're mm -hmm. so great when they're, when, when they're playing together and pulsing, as you've seen live, you know, a million times, it's unbeatable. And that's, that's what we captured and it, and it wasn't um a rushed process or anything like that so right right when we started guitars and bass i was able to sit in a chair you know and and do my my guitar pedal thing and all that and get deep into the creative process of the overdubs and but we captured the rip you know the absolute mm -hmm. fire um before i crashed so that was it see that you, you see how perfect that is it's just 
in line in time perfectly and and every single day since that accident i feel pain like there's something and uh recently it's subsided a lot and um through diet and you know and taking really good care of myself um i but yeah i remember that record every day it lives in my body as annoying pain <laughs> that's crazy that it lives yeah. in your body yeah um i think one of the members as well said that you were like screaming and that that's in one of the tracks do you remember which track that's in and is that something you kind of remember doing in the studio like getting your sort of pain out there well, you know the the screaming isn't isn't um it it if you listen to just the drum tracks it's in every song and and hopefully other people are doing it too. Um I love uh hyping it and you know getting the intention across. You know, so we do a lot of mental surgery before the song to know why and what you're doing for the purpose and and really 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 believe in what the vocal is giving you know the the lyric and find why it resonates through each person and and um so the the intensity is like yeah or fucking rip go you know <laughs> and it's 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 in in a in a huge like when it's turning on there's this incredible joy and oh, it's it's it just comes out of out of me and because they're they're playing it through their instruments and slamming and i'm screaming and like yeah you know and it's all <laughs> one you know it's, yeah. it's beautiful yeah it's a good combination well, just to make sure I got the timeline right, how long did the record take to record from start to finish, and when did you have your accident within that time frame? The accident was probably three weeks in. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and I think it took us two and a half months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of the other members of Slipknot were all going through it as well. Um, Corey told us yeah. that in one take he cut himself with a candle and, like, threw up. Um, what do you remember of his vocal takes? Um, what kind of stands out for you in that sort of emotional pain realm? Uh, the thing that stands out for from my experience watching him and, you know, getting getting into him and and uh listening to him and being there uh I, I would always you know basically lay down in front of him while he did the vocal and you know and we do live takes from top to bottom to get that extreme live experience and not the 2020 hey let's punch in the chorus first hey let's do the verse you know <laughs> No, it's double it. You know, it none of that 
none of that existed on Iowa or the first record. Um, it was all about giving and feeling everything that you're writing about. So whatever he wrote about was was what he had to feel. And so his his traumatic lyrics were being emoted pure. And I think whenever somebody is absolutely authentic in whatever it is that they're giving, um, the body just gets overwhelmed with those body chills because it, it's it's not really say the pain or the suffering or blah blah blah. It's it's the authenticity and the realness of what he's expressing that um would also take me out of pain. It would go away. And and if it was just kinda eh it'd be like, All right, what's going on? Tell me. You know, where are you? Say it again. Why? Why? And and I think that that process is so, you know, for somebody as talented as him, you know, it, it's not necessary to go that deep and that <laughs> miserable, if you write miserable stuff, you know, to be a, a talented, great multi-platinum artist. It's just mega extra credit that I think is timeless and never dies and and it allows people to feel the feelings that they're feeling that resonate with that subject as well and you know and when you when you open the heart you capture you capture the person forever you know mm-hmm. you're the safe place and he's he's a master and so special at being able to do that all of those guys incredible is there a moment you remember where you really pushed him like a particular take on a particular song and where he came out with something that you were just really blown away by left behind i think that's the one i would feel so emotional about it but he gave everything and I, it's so real and it's, it's the high bar of, of giving and selflessness and healing and vulnerability. God. Doesn't get better. That's, that's the high bar. That's, that's, that that vocal vocal performance to me is the holy grail you know i always you know jonathan did it on daddy and mm. you know, it's just that i've been able to experience <laughs> seeing a few of those it, uh, there is yeah it's it's just so special um that's what sticks out the dude just fucking opened his heart and and was left raw, naked and seen and that's what 
everybody's afraid of. That's that's the cause of war, and he's he's uh, ending war with that song. It's beautiful. What was he singing about? Because I could take a guess, you know, and say it's about his father or you know. You got it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, you know, the pain of thinking somebody should be there and be part of his life and, you know, and the treachery in his mind and his heart and his soul that, you know, feeling less than and thrown away. And it's just, you know, we can, it, all of us can relate to that through, you know, getting fired from a job or get somebody breaking up with us or, mm. you know, it's it's the human condition to think that if they don't love me, then there's something wrong with me. And, mm-hmm. um, and then you pile thousands and thousands of stories on top of it and it's your proof that I'm a piece of shit and all of this stuff. And, you know, these are the things that we go into you know, and, and I, you know, tell me how it feels. It's okay. Mm. What about Clown? Um, We're speaking to him sometime in the next few days about the record, but I saw an interview with him and he said, we all almost died. Um, So obviously he was feeling something very strongly there. Well, um, yeah, I think it had a lot to do with, you know, well, they did die and they, and they were reborn into a whole new identity that, you know, who, who is able to transition from being normal, you know, kind of maybe low income to middle income Iowa kids to being heroes and having, you know, all these big deals come in and everybody just loves them and and they're up for a Grammy mm-hmm. and, you know, just like, check me out. And then there's, you know, band stuff going on, like within each other. And it's just, it, it, yeah. and, and I think, the manager at the time was is very very toxic. He was, it was. I didn't like him at all, and I was being really protective. But I had no business doing that. And I think uh, Sean was kind of, you know, in the middle of me and that, you know, and is is it was. Man, that that die was the difference between all about the music on the first record, and then all of a sudden these kids are just thrown into a an absolute whirlwind of insanity. You know, it's, it was crazy, and and I have to put that as myself as well. You know, I'm a desert kid from. Arsto, California, halfway between LA and Vegas and and I had you know it was just 
unnatural for a desert rat to be in the position I was in and being given massive record deals with major labels and it was insane and um so I'm not clean you know the egos were fucking out of control <laughs> yeah well, not between well, the band and me it, you know I think we had our we had our little wolf pack thing but um you know and trust in that but you know just outside of the trying to figure out life mm. well what would we have seen if we'd walked into the studio just on any given day uh so you walk into Sound City, which is you turn off the wor- ugliest part of the valley, and you go into this ugly, ugly building with no grass. It's just like a black, hot parking lot, and then you you go into this ugly hallway, and you walk by this down this hallway into um, the control room door and. There were uh, these kiss, stand-up kiss dolls that were like three feet high, and you kick, kick the bass, and they play different kiss songs. So everybody would hit the kiss. Somebody would hit their favorite kiss band member, and and so that was fun. <laughs> um, there were these bottles of herbs that the manager was buying for the each band member that were $1,200 a piece sitting there on, on a shelf that people would just drink and, and, you know, all, <laughs> then I had my, my video game in the, in the lobby area with, that was just super seventies looking, and just crappy and you could smell old cat food in there and, <laughs> and, but the thing about it is, you know, Nevermind was made in there, and yeah. Fleetwood Mac did their first couple of records there. And oh my God, it's just the historical value. And then the console was super special, which girl made that movie. Yeah. And um, yeah, the Sound City. So. Yeah, there, there was carpet on the walls, this ugly brown carpet, and and for me it was super cool. Like I loved, loved the um, the vibe of it, and I didn't know it, but I clown hated my our engineer Mike Fraser. I hated his pirate flags, <laughs> and I I didn't know until. Like maybe a year after we recorded or something, I read it in an interview, but Frage comes in and just pins up his pirate flags and we're on a pirate ship. <laughs> and, I, and he was, Clown was so bummed on it and um, yeah, but we did it. Yeah. Um, and during drum tracking and editing, I would... I would uh we edited on tape. So we marked every single kick and snare and tom on the whole record and you can hear how busy Joey plays. Mm. And so the the way I would edit, you know, you can hear it on the first record and as well is the the edits you 
I would take out the lulls and leave all the rushes. You know, I'd find a groove and, and use that to measure, like a, a two, four bar groove or something. And that would be my measuring of markers. And then I would match the markers on the tape. And then we'd slice out these little baby slivers. And these tiny little slivers went all the way around the control room taped up and it was extreme cobbling and uh and and what you hear at the end of that is this massive urgency that's just breathtaking it's like oh my god mm-hmm. <laughs> so you see these little slivers and everybody's like oh i wonder what they sound like if you taped them all together and <laughs> it, <laughs> so that was the thing <laughs> And I think I think Clown has all of those. Wow. Yeah, just he has them. Awesome. Well, yeah. why do you, why do you think Iowa became such a commercial success? It got to number one in the UK and almost got to number one in the US. And it's a record with death metal influences, with people screaming in pain on it. That's pretty um, incredible, really. Uh. Metal bands can just simply use that as a template that want to be extreme and discover choruses. <laughs> like, oh, a chorus. <laughs> and um, obviously, you know, they're, they're so musically, uh, you know, intuitive and you know all of us working together and having you know structure and and proper beat you know and you know where it sticks out and comes alive you know that that i think as far as commercial radio technical but then we go back to that thing with when i was describing left behind um you put that on it and then all of a sudden you know it's reminiscent to a Queen record where you got Freddie Mercury just bleeding on the mic, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's it's just so authentic and, and also structured well. How do you feel looking back at the record now, 20 years on? Um moved grateful i uh, so so grateful it's it i Iowa came out right before nine eleven or i think on nine eleven and their tour was cancelled and it was the record that was pushed out. They made another record you know soon I think they toured three months and and it was not full houses because people were scared of terrorists and yeah and so everything was canceled and and so what happened is it became the sleeper slipknot album it's a discovery today where like say if i look at numbers or whatever you know plays it's 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 smoking i i can't believe it like people listen to it like it it's never been out this whole time and i think that 
uh, it's so powerful that it became a, a sleeper classic. Mm. And and um, you know where where if it was properly uh, toured and just pushed and pushed and pushed, you know that it's like oh god, you know it's like well, give me something new. And and to me, it's always new, and there's always going to be new fans that discover it and like, oh, what the hell happened? <laughs> you know? Mm. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I think that some of the tour dates were pushed back because of fears of terrorism. So having to release a record and then go out into a world that people have never seen before in modern times, it's a very strange thing to do, I imagine, for them. Yeah, and we're experiencing it now with, you know, I made two records that were released last year and people just, you know, it's come and gone. It's bizarre, you know, without the touring. Is there anything else you want to add about Iowa? I think I think I'm just so proud and so grateful for it and and I'm so grateful that that those guys chose me to do it and and um you know I I'm really sure that some insane hurtful crazy things came out of my mouth and you know it was for me it was survival you know through such extreme such you know physical uh, situation and and uh, yeah something happened that I'm not sure of but uh, I'm grateful for it and I would do it again the same exact way I'd take the crash <laughs> I would be a complete psychomaniac and you know think I knew something which today I know I don't know anything and um you know, life knows, and it's not up to us to control anything. And yeah, and I, I learned just—I just learned so much about, you know, connecting and being, you know, there for for people when they need me um, during that record. And, yeah, um, it sounds like you were. Sorry, go on. No, no, that's it. I was just gonna say, it sounds like. Um, it changed you quite profoundly in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was it was heavy. Mm. It was heavy. Yeah. All 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 gratitude. Well, you know, the thing about it was the extreme success and all the money and you know whatever, all the stuff and all that. I think it hit all of us really really hard. And, you know, I kind of see it it, without tools and being able to um, mentally get through it properly. It's a death sentence. And, you know, if you're a people pleaser, it's kind of a death sentence. And, you know, it's it's a highway to growth. You know, I think that it made all of us much, much wiser people. The experience of all of it. 
All right, that is all from Eleanor Goodman and the legendary Ross Robinson for now. Pick up the latest issue of Melt Hammer from tinyurl.com slash gethammer or in your local shops across the UK to read more on Iowa. Uh, we've got members of the band in there. We've got Ross in there, of course, and we've got other great people as well that were right there on the front lines for one of the most explosive albums in the history of metal. Go pick up the latest issue for all that. Uh, and we'll also have more from Ross in a future issue of the magazine as well. Don't forget to head over to killstar.com to visit our lovely sponsors, Killstar, and check out all their latest ranges and wares. Um, still got my eye on those uh, salt and uh, pepper shakers, by the way. Um, we will see you right back here on the Mount Hub podcast next week. We are going to do a review roundup, and there are some big, big albums that we haven't talked about yet. We haven't talked about Out the Gates yet. We haven't talked about Beartooth. We haven't talked about Backwash. There is loads of great stuff coming out right now, and we're going to review and go in deep on all of that. So we'll see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Come <laughs> on.